Decoding Today, Rally Driver Kelly Mannings. Hey guys, I'm Mathias Dandois. And thank you for tuning in in the third episode of my podcast, Decoding Athletes with Red Bull. I'm a professional BMX rider and eight-time world champion. I'm living in between Paris and New York City, and I travel over 200 days a year. I started to ride BMX when I was 12 years old, and I never know why I am when I wake up. Now, I started this podcast because I want to find out what does it really take to become an extraordinary athlete and help other young talents to find their path. In the previous episodes, I've talked to trial freestyle legend Danny Magaskir and professional snowboarder Scotty James. If you've missed the episodes, make sure to subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every other podcast app. You can also watch the video version of the podcast and the vlog on my YouTube channel. We'll link it all below in the show notes. For today's episode, I met with British female rally driver Kelly Mannings in Zalamsee, Austria, during the GP ice race. She's attempting to break through onto the WRC Junior circuit. Since I spoke to Katie, her season has unfortunately been put on hold for obvious reasons. But it was fascinating to hear from her about how she spends her winter racing on ice, how she wants to go up against the boys and prove girls can drive. It was one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had with an athlete in my entire life. I mean, Katie did her first handbrake turn when she was 13 years old. Her first rally race, she did not even have her driving license. And anyway, she didn't even pull her driving license first go. What a legend. In this episode, Kelly will tell you about her scariest crash when she ended up in someone's house and having coffee with them while she didn't knock on the door for this one. Without further ado, all the way from Great Britain, the rally driver Kelly Manning. We changed uh, a bit of a location today. We are in Austria, in Zell uh, Amsee. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. But it's a little ski resort in the middle of uh, Austria where they are hosting the GP ice race. It's basically like a car race on uh, ice, on snow, where a bunch of different cars get to go around, like legendary cars, new cars, electric cars. And I have the pleasure to have a, a legend with me today, one of the best uh, rally drivers in the world. Katie Munnings, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. How, how did the weekend go for you? Oh my God, it's been insane. This race is like nothing I've ever done before. Um, there's like new cars, old cars, some new drivers, some guys that have never driven on snow. And there's, and there's world champions, Marcel Hirscher, the skier. Yeah, there's been amazing people out there on the track. It's been a real honor to drive. Yeah, it's Marcel Hirscher, like the legendary skier from Red Bull, right? Yeah, exactly. I was like, what is he doing on the track with a car? Has he been driving before? No, so I actually spoke to him earlier this weekend and he said he was so nervous because his comfort zone is like between the ski gates and it's what he's used to, he can deal with it. Um, and he said this weekend he's like completely out of his comfort zone. But since he retired from skiing, he wants to try something new. So he's gone to car racing and he's got Ekstrom as his kind of guide and his experience. I think he's the teacher, but he was still saying, I'm so nervous for the weekend. But I think he did a really good job. I was watching yeah. it. It looked awesome. It looked really professional. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you driven on snow before? So I actually used to, when I was younger, I really wanted to go to like a snow experience, but it's so expensive. If you go to like Finland or Sweden for a couple of days, it's like 6,000 euros. So I said, okay, I want some experience during the winter. The rally season is quiet. So I emailed a lot of different ice schools and I said, um, I'll do like airport transfers or I'll do like cooking, maybe not cooking because I'm not a good cook, but <laughs> some small jobs. Um, uh, in exchange for some tuition on the ice over the winter months. And then I had a French company actually reply to me and say, oh yeah, we need an instructor. But at that point, I'd never driven on ice before. Um, and so I said, yeah, I'll do it. Um, but when I arrived, it was like a very small company. There was only four instructors. Everybody was French and all the clients were French. And I didn't realize, but all of the instruction that I had to give would be in French also. <laughs> so it was a complete disaster for me because, I mean, I studied a little bit French at school, but never like a, a huge amount. So it was learning on the job. But then it meant I got to spend like two winters in Lapland in Sweden, just drifting cars on the ice. It was cool. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. This is sick. And yeah, you've been driving for 
quite a the while. I read online that you were doing your first uh, handbrake turn when you were like 13 years old. Yeah. Something like that. What made you do a handbrake turn at 13 years old? What the inspiration came from? I think it's my dad. Um, so he did a bit of rally driving when he was younger um, in Belgium. But he never really had any money to go like pro with it. He was very talented, but he didn't have the funds. Um, so then he went into becoming an instructor and he was an instructor for years. And then he started a motorsport entertainment company when me and my sister were very young. So we had a lot of land and he had like quad bikes and pilots and old cars. And so we always used to have our friends over and like play in the mud and slide cars. And then when we were 14, actually, he said um, where we lived is very remote and the roads in the winter, they're not gritted with salt. So it's very slippery, like driving on ice here. And then he said to me and my sister, he wanted us to have some good car control for when we start driving on the roads normally. Because for us, it was an hour drive to school every day. And it was when we were driving ourselves, he didn't want us to have stupid crashes as being a rally driver. <laughs> he wanted us to be good. So he entered us into something called grass auto testing, which is like a slalom on grass. Uh, it's like handbrake turns, reverse flicks, some car, like stunt driving, the, the way you learn stunt driving. And so we started and I was much more competitive than my sister. She's like really chilled, likes hanging out in the hospitality and I'm like <laughs> desperate to race. It was the right time when I met um, Peugeot Sports. They were looking for a young driver. So we just started our project in the, straight into the European Championship, which was a big step for me. Wait, so you, you did your first race before you had your driving license? Yeah, so I was doing I was doing grass auto testing since I was 14 um, on fields. And then when I was 17, I went to a test with Peugeot. So I actually... I didn't have a rally license at this point, but I just passed my driving test in, um, in England, my normal road test. And we came out to Mont Blanc. So it was, for me, it was the wrong side of the road because you, <laughs> in Europe, in France, especially, you drive on the wrong side. No, <laughs> the we, wrong... <laughs> you guys drive on the wrong side. Let's not start with that. <laughs> and it was the wrong side of the car because it was left-hand drive. Oh, yeah. Um, and I got straight into this car. It was a Peugeot 208 R2, which is basically a front-wheel drive rally car. And it had like a sequential gearbox and then it had a handbrake that was a really long stick and everything to me looked foreign because I was used to driving normal cars. And I sat in the car and I had a French guy who was French champion at the time, but he didn't speak any English as my teacher. And so he had this stick in the car and he just like hit my legs when he wanted me to accelerate and when he wanted me to brake. Because no way. Yeah, like only a tap, <laughs> but it made me laugh at the time because in a rally car, all your braking is with your left foot, not your right foot. So your right foot is always accelerating and your left foot is always braking. But because I had no rally experience, that was a completely new concept to me. So I, I uh, yeah, I had to learn the hard way by being hit with a stick, basically. <laughs> so wait, you brake with your left foot on yeah. a rally car? But yeah. when I try to brake with my left foot in my car, the car's just like, rah, just yeah. stops. You, you just learn like that? Yeah, just... it was exactly that. In a rally car, I think at the brake, you have to put more pressure to stop. So it's probably, I find it easier. In my road car, I don't brake with my left foot because it's exactly the same thing. When I brake, I almost go through the windscreen, like with <laughs> how hard you stop. <laughs> But yeah, I think when I'm driving in rally now, I'm very used to braking with my left foot. It's a different driving style though, because sometimes... Like in a fast section, when there's like some bumps or something to stabilize the car, be flat out with the accelerator, but also putting a little bit of brake because it brings the car like weight down into the ground. So then you feel a lot more stable and connected to the ground. So sometimes you have to use both at the same time. Oh wait, so you brake and accelerate at the same time? Yeah. Wow. It's one way of really burning out your brakes as well. <laughs> yeah, that's the opposite of what they tell you at the driving test. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Did you get your, your driving test first go or no? Do you know what? I actually didn't, but... <laughs> For years, it's a I think it took me four years to, uh, to tell anybody that I did it because I failed on a roundabout. I pulled out on a bus. For me, it was okay. We didn't crash. We went and there was time. But for the driving instructor, he was very nervous and he said, no, that's not, not good enough. But he even said like, I did interviews like a year after I passed my driving test. I was like, yeah, yeah, I passed first time. Yeah, 100%. I'm a professional go. driver. Of course <laughs> I did. But then it took me a while to have the confidence to say, actually, no, <laughs> I didn't. Do you know that, uh, that Pierre who films the podcast is a car instructor? No way. Yeah, no way. Oh <laughs> so my you God. Can just, you can just stand up and like beat him up. Like, yeah. <laughs> wow. No, no, no. He is, he is though. That's cool. And then, uh, do you believe in talent? You know, like, do you know Star Wars, like the, the franchise, the movies? I haven't watched it. My sister and worked on it actually. She in, did the costumes. No way. <laughs> and you know, in the first uh, episode of the, the new ones, Anakin Skywalker, like they, they make him do a blood test and oh, he okay. has a bunch of, uh, stuff in his blood that makes him like a, a really good driver and do you believe that you have something in your blood that makes you a, a better driver than me i'm an awful <laughs> driver i haven't seen you maybe we should take you on the ice and then i will say i will say i don't know i think about this a lot actually because i always think 
especially with driving, it's different to other sports because it's such an expensive sport. For me to practice is like almost impossible unless I have a lot of budget for the season. Whereas I don't know for like a snowboarder or like a mountain biker, they can just like pick up their equipment and go practice. It's not so stressful. But for me, it's like I have to close a public road. There has to be police there. There has to be ambulances there. I have to have permission from the council. So maybe you only do this like six times a year. So for me, it's very difficult to practice. So we always say in motorsport, the more you practice, the more talented you are. So money buys talent, basically. That's the way it works in motorsport, which is sad, but it's also true. And you can see it all the time. Somebody can start off with not very good results or not much experience. And if they have loads and loads of practice, then actually they can beat people that have started at quite a high level but don't get to drive as much. So I think it's like any sport, you have to practice at it. I think there is also a certain level of talent. Um, You always see it run in families. But then I think it's all the other factors that come with it. It's the support that you have, learning from somebody else's experience. And if you can put all of those things together, I think that's what makes the champions. I don't think it's just talent especially in motorsport maybe in other other sports is a little bit different but in motorsport from my experience it's always down to who you know what resources you have how much budget you can have for the season how much you can practice and all these things together then help you to become a better driver yeah it's insane that's what i was noticing earlier today it's like when i'm going on a contest that just me and my bike you know when i want to go ride or train I just go down my street and I just ride the street outside and it just made me think what you just said that you have to close the road have ambulance everything and today at the the race you had a whole crew with you someone that takes care of the car someone that takes care of uh, the transportation of the car your family everything it's yeah. it's pretty crazy isn't it stressful for you yeah I mean it's nice in some ways because when you have a good result it's like a teamwork it's a really nice atmosphere but at the same time there's like If you're trying to run it individually, if you're not kind of working with a team, especially when you first start out, that's why it's so expensive because it's not just yourself and your co-driver that you need to think of. It's like the mechanics, the engineers, the truck drivers, the ferry that takes your car to a different country, all the flights, like it's very quickly adds up. But at the same time, I think you need it because if I'm competing, for example, in the European Championship, it will be like a three-day event. But before that, you have a two-day recce, a test with the team. So it's a long event and it's impossible to do things by yourself. You know, you need like a chef there to be able to cook because sometimes you have like 15 minutes to come back into service all day. The car needs to be fixed. You need to eat. You need to just change your tires. Like there's so many things that need to happen. You need that support around you. So that's why my family always come as well because I, would not, I wouldn't be able to move. I can't even hire a car in some countries without them. So you have to be 25. <laughs> When I started, I was like 17 and it was impossible to hire a car. So no <laughs> they way. had to come, yeah. That's really, really cool. You started the European circuit pretty early. Like you were really young when you first started. Yeah. And in 2016, you won the European yeah. Championship. You were the first British person to ever win a rally title in 50 years. Yeah, yeah. That's really impressive. What has been the challenges uh, after this uh, first win? I think for me, it's always been like, in, especially in motorsport, there's a big divide between the, there's just not enough girls in it. There's a whole like in motorsport, um, but especially in rally. And um, so for me, it's always been like my focus has been maybe a little bit different to the other girls because I've always wanted to be competitive with the boys. So that's been my focus. So for me, it's like much more impressive if I can come fourth overall in a European championship rather than the first in the ladies, because the standard is like, I guess it's like a pond or it's like a bath. If you're running a bath and you're putting like 90% in that are male and like 10% that are female, your chance of finding a champion in that is going to be from the men just statistically. So I think if we can get more women into it, the standard of female driving will be higher as well and it will be more competitive against the guys. So I think that's always been my focus. So some people, they might say, oh yeah, but you won like the ladies championship. I'm like, yeah, but for me, that's not like as great as like two years ago, I came fourth overall in the European championship. And that's like, I was, I don't know, I must have been, how I, I can't really do maths, but I'm 22 now. So I'd have been like 20 then. So then that was me against the guys that are like almost 30 and they had 10 years experience on me. So that was really cool for me to think, okay, this is where I'm at now. I'm still like way behind them in terms of experience, but actually our progress rate is really cool. And when I'm their age, like it will be really interesting to see where I can be as well. So you got fourth place overall yeah. and like competing with guys. So there yeah. was no separation of classes between guys and no. girls? No, that's exactly right. So there's like, there's different trophies. So there is a ladies trophy um, in some championships and they do it just as a bit of recognition for females. 
But actually, you can always win the guys' championship as well. It's like the same thing. It doesn't really count as girls and guys. There's just a ladies' trophy. It's a bit of a side thing. It's not the main event. It just depends which category of car you're in. So if I'm in the same car as the guys, that means I count for the same trophy overall. Wow. So are there any other sports where guys compete on the same class with ladies? I don't know. It's very. It's one of the only sports, actually. It's super exciting. Yeah. And it just shows that if you got fourth, that any woman can just beat any man yeah it was like the women's world cup uh, last year you know and yeah. so many people were into it and they yeah. said like whoa women's soccer is actually as entertaining as men's soccer and i guess it's the same thing with rally drivings yeah it's definitely as entertaining as the men's and what what do you think is the the key to get more girls involved oh my interest personally has always been in seeing how far you can go so There's been like loads of guys at the top for years in, in rally, but there's only really been one woman who was French actually called Michelle Mouton, who's like a complete legend in my eyes. But since her, I mean, like, when was she around like in the 80s, 90s, since she's been like at the top of the WRC, there hasn't been a female to reach that level for lots of reasons for like, you know, there's been good drivers, but not enough budget or they've been too old or, you know, there's lots of things that come into play with it. But for me, it's always been thinking, how far can you go to follow in somebody's footsteps like that? Is it possible for the females to be as fast? So I think it's pretty similar for the other girls. But I think it's also opening the door at the right age. Motorsport isn't very accessible for like somebody that's not had it in their family or hasn't been surrounded by it when they're growing up. It's not a very like it's not a hobby that you say one day, oh, yeah, I'm going to go and like race a car today. Because mm -mm. if you don't own one, it's, you know, you need to buy one. You need to find a team. You need to understand how it works. So we do actually, I work with some different organizations, one called Dare to be Different, which is like, um, we do events with very young girls, and like in school ages. So anything from, I think they do them at like nine years old through to like 16. So the perfect ages to start motorsport. And then there's people from the presenting side, from Sky Sports presenting, there's mechanics from Formula One teams, engineers, drivers, and we just show them every side of motorsport. And then hopefully they can build some contacts to be able to then start motorsport at the same age that the guys are starting and then have the chance to hopefully be as fast as them. That's amazing. That's exactly what we try to do in my uh, sport. Yeah. It's about to get into the Olympic Games. But the IOC said in order to become Olympic, we need equity in uh, women's and no men's way. so we need uh, to have like more women's in, oh, wow. into the sport so that's what all the professional riders have been trying to do is just yeah. like to promote the sports yeah. towards women and it's been actually incredible to see their level uh, yeah, increase really? yeah oh, that's awesome. it, it's been really really cool And do you have the same competition for females and males or is it separate? So they have a separate competition, okay. but the level is really increasing. Is and I think like the appeal of winning Olympic Games, obviously, is making a lot of these girls uh, yeah. go crazy. So that's... I would start mm. just for that. No, yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. That's super, super interesting for everyone. Let's just uh, go back a little bit to the, the money side of things, which I think is really like a big factor in motorsports. I was just with uh, Cyril Desprez. Mm -hmm. He's a, a moto uh, Dakar five-time winner and he told us uh, the first time he wanted to race uh, Dakar he had to fund his race by uh, selling bottle of wine no way. like he sold uh, I think 5,000 bottle of wine in order to pay for his uh, wow. for his Dakar fee and uh, I read online that at some point you had to use uh, some other guy's tires <laughs> that were already used in your own car This is still me. This is not yeah? in the past. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, for sure. I so, mean, this is this was last year and the, well, every single year. I've never ever, still to this day, done a race where I've used the allocation of tires. <laughs> so because it's so expensive, you know, for me to raise the money to go to a race is so hard. The things like tires, extra. So that's not the focus when you start. When you think, okay, so in next month I want to do this race. The tires are obviously an extra. So. Obviously, if I can use as many tires as I can afford, that's great. But actually, if there is a team that have got the full allocation of tires, they change the tires regularly. So what they take off the car is still pretty decent. <laughs> so sometimes I just take them and I'm like, yeah, that works for me. And I'm driving, I'm here, I'm smiling. So that's fine with me. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously not ideal. I think this year will be the first year when I actually kind of go in with like a fair chance. And, you know, everybody's cars are the same. Everybody has the same allocation of tires going into the world championship is like a different level of that kind of professionalism in the team which is awesome but I think you do what you have to do to make it work in sport I mean especially when you start out we've like my whole family sacrificed so much we've like sold cars we've sold you know anything any little thing that we have to think okay yeah if we sell this 
we couldn't go to this race. Like I sold my first rally car to pay for one of my competitions a couple of years ago. And that's what you do to try to progress, I think. Wow. What's the craziest thing your family has done to, uh, to fund a, a rally race? <laughs> I think we're still doing crazy things every <laughs> single day. <laughs> this is awesome. This year, it's going to be uh, your first year in the World uh, Rally Championship. Yeah. And it changes a lot of things because it's the same car for everyone. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, so it's like you're going to have a massive chance to defend your chance and to prove yourself as one of the best rally driver in the world. How did that opportunity came up, the World Rally Championship? I think it was a combination of factors. With some of my athlete managers um, in Red Bull in England and different sponsors, people have always wanted me to go to the World Championship, which is awesome because that's always where I've wanted to be as well. Everybody's got the sim similar interest of seeing how far we can take it and how far we can reach you know, with the sport. They were obviously looking for opportunities for me. And then some of the teams were also looking for opportunities. As we were saying earlier, the whole equality thing is very, um, in motorsport, it's exactly the same now to kind of make the sport more mainstream and have the same support that other sports have. We need to show that actually it's diverse and that there's opportunities for everybody. And so I think different teams are recognizing that and different sponsors, especially. So people are starting to kind of look around now and I think I was in the right place because yeah being a female obviously that's quite unique in motorsport so it's a cool opportunity and um, yeah I've just got to kind of embrace where I'm at but it was a deal that came together from loads of different people having a conversation and I was one of the last people to be involved in the conversation <laughs> but you know it's that's the way it is sometimes and um, yeah it's, it's been really cool to have that opportunity but I think as you say it's like a massive step up for me the category that I'm in some of the competitors have been in it for already like five or six years so the same car the same team so they know how things work for me I've driven the car once um, it was awesome but I don't have the experience of the little intricacies about the car and what makes it fast on some services and the little things that takes years to develop with your engineer so for me I think the first year in, in the world championship will be a learning experience the events are so much longer and so much more difficult than I've done before so I'm just hoping to enjoy the year and not put too much pressure on myself Because I'm still young also, like the age limit for our championship now is 30. And so I'm 22 now. So I'm still going to be one of the younger guys out there. And so, yeah, I think it's just about learning as much as I can from the other drivers as well. Rally's like a family. It's not like a sport where people don't share stuff. I think the faster you get, the probably the less you share, <laughs> your competitors share. But um, at the same time, it is it, people help each other. And I think you really need that in a sport where it's like so difficult to get there. There's like that level of respect for somebody that can make it happen. So it's the junior uh, WRC. When is the first event? So I'm heading to Sweden in a few days, actually. <laughs> so it's literally next week. So I've been ice racing. It's perfect preparation <laughs> for it, really. I was saying, though, going from this car, it's like 650 horsepower. Going to my car, which would be like 200 horsepower. It's a bit of a difference. Maybe <laughs> I will get bored on some of the long straights. Um, you know, I tested the car the other day and I have a test before in Sweden and in Norway, actually on snow. So that'd be my first time driving on snow with proper studded tires. So I'm excited for that because the level of grip will be like better than on gravel. So I'm really excited to try it. It will be a really cool opportunity out there. Do you believe that the thing you did this weekend, driving on ice with the, the 650 horsepower Bentley, is going to help you to do good at uh, a... <laughs> yeah, I think it's event? good for your confidence uh, to just to sit in a car and to be used to speed and, and, and drifting in a car. Any experience is good experience, especially as we talked about earlier with, you know, the opportunities for testing and for practice being so rare. Any chance I can get to drive any car is awesome for me. But then at the same time, it will handle very differently to how the Bentley's been handling. You know, it's a front-wheel drive rally car. It's not four-wheel drive. Yeah, I mean, it's a very different car. But at the same time, I think it's more about your confidence going into the race and how you, how your mental state is. If you've been in a car recently, it really helps. Oh, for sure. And uh, how did the opportunity with Bentley came up that weekend? This is amazing. They, I, I talked a little bit with the Bentley guys and they were so hyped to have a, a girl driving yeah. the car. And that was, I think that adds up to their communication and marketing to have a, a girl driving. Uh, how did the opportunity came up? I can't remember where I was. I think I was in Manchester and I had this message come through from the director of motorsport just saying, oh, we've had this like idea Do you want to have a phone call? And I was like, well, I'm only like 15 minutes away from you guys. So I ended up just going around to their office and I sat chatting to the director for ages and he was sort of saying they were looking to do something different. You know, Bentleys are classic cars and they're like beautiful, but they wanted to show the dynamic side of it because the cars are, you know, they're a performance car. They are really like a sports car and they're awesome to drive and they really wanted to show that off. So they're thinking of doing different projects and entering different um, stuff that you wouldn't expect from a Bentley. You know, you have the classic Bentley boys, like, you know, that yeah. stereotype. And they were trying to just show the other side to that. 
And so they said, okay, well, if we're going to put it on an ice race, why don't we get a woman to drive it and just go double with it? And I love the idea, obviously, it's an awesome opportunity, something completely new for me. I toured their factory, the whole production line of their road cars. And it was absolutely amazing, the place that they have. It's like top secret, but it's just so cool to be there. I was like starstruck in the garage. So yeah, to have that kind of British heritage on my race suit also is pretty special. It was really successful this weekend. All I could see is the people that were gathering around your car and you were the center of attention the whole weekend. Yeah. And uh, I feel like this is so nice to prove that girls can drive. You know, that there's that stupid stereotype that people have that say, hey, girls can drive, whatever. Is that something <laughs> that you want to prove that girls yeah. can drive? I remember when I first started in motorsport, I used to have like, You know, every, everyone in sports, doesn't matter what you do. Actually, not even just sports, but I think if you have like some kind of profile, you always have the negative comments or the trolls or whatever. And I remember when I first started, there was people that would write me a message and just say like, oh, stop uh, rally driving, go and make me a sandwich or go and paint your nails and stop driving, you know, like, oh, women drivers, everything like that. But yeah, I, at first it used to upset me so much. I remember reading one comment after my first competition because I went in straight into the European Championship with no experience. So obviously I wasn't like on the pace at the start and it was it took me like I had to learn as everybody does. But I'd just done it in a higher profile championship. So I think people were thinking like, why Why have you done this? You know, you, you've got no experience. You have no level of driving. Why have you gone and done that? And it really upset me my first comments. I was so gutted by it. And then after that, I kind of thought, oh, you can read. I read an interview with Sebastian Ogier and he said, uh, you can like have a thousand good comments and two bad comments. And they're the ones you remember. You always remember yeah. the bad comments. It's yeah. like even on Instagram, if there are like two decades yeah. that write like some negative stuff and you always remember the two bad stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy. I tried to block that out now. And then I think your driving does the talking. If you get something like that, just post a good fast pip, like bit of clip of video of driving and just don't say anything. And <laughs> well, for sure. I mean, going in, inside the car with you today, I was like feeling super confident and you can watch all the action that happened uh, today on the, the vlog that uh, just came out with the, that podcast if you want to see a, a girl shred a car just uh, watch it. you were even pulling a skier what was that was all about it was insane <laughs> so we came to this event and we didn't really know what to expect because Bentley's never done anything like this before it took us ages to find a skier that would say yes nobody wanted to do it because they were all you know it's like in the middle of winter so it's the, it's the competition time for all the professional skiers And so we managed to find this crazy like Swiss guy who was awesome and he does really like loads of content videos and he does crazy stuff. But normally like in deep powder, lots of jumps and stuff. So racing on ice like this was very different for him as well. Um, but yeah, he seemed up for it. We didn't even practice though. We went straight into the race yesterday. I was like, hey, I'm Katie. He's Fen. Let's go. <laughs> so trusting me with his life. I was actually pretty nervous because in the regulations for the race, they were talking about the size of the studs that you can have on the tires. Um, and it said they have to be commercially available. And I think we took it a lot more literally than some of the other teams. So yeah. some of the teams came with like 12 millimeter studs. We only had four millimeter studs. So it was a lot more slippery for us and less grip. So I was nervous about the amount of sliding I would do and if the skier would be able to, you know, control it behind oh, me yeah. as well. But actually, I think it worked really well. It put on a really good show for the crowd. So. No, for sure. You, you were telling me that the first time you drove the car yesterday because of the studs being so small, at the end of the, that first uh, straight line, you, you started to break and yeah. nothing happened. And you were uh, yeah. with your dad on the, on the radio, like saying, like, fuck, 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 it doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah. Can you let the listener know, like, what's the feeling of being uh, behind a rally car like that? <laughs> that was horrible <laughs> that feeling was not a nice feeling at all that was like the feeling when your stomach goes into a knot and you're like I don't want to be here right now and it's like the time slows down I went into that corner and I thought okay I don't have like a very big stud on so I'll break early I'll make sure like I'll go in slow it'll be okay for my first lap I'll get a feeling but what I was already going was way too fast and I went to break and the Bentley team was standing on this corner with all the spectators and they said oh my god, she's not going to stop the car. And I thought I'd just send it. So I just threw it sideways. And there's this like really cool video of us skidding and like the back of it just trimming the bank with the snow and like kicking up a snow cloud. But I was so worried because it's like, you know, I don't want to hit the bank on the first corner of the race. It's so embarrassing for everyone. Um, but no, luckily we made it happen that time. But there was loads of GoPros that were filming in the car and the guys were watching the footage back last night and they were like, were you just talking to yourself in the car? What were you doing? But I actually had my earphones on and I was speaking to my dad because he was kind of helping me from outside the car and um, yeah it was it was funny because it sounded like I was just having a mad conversation with myself in the car 
What's the feelings of driving a rally car when it goes good? What do you feel behind the wheels? It's like the best feeling in the world because it's such a challenge to get there. I think mentally everything comes into that moment. The stress that you've had of trying to find a sponsorship to even make it happen and then the week's preparation and all the tiredness, the teamwork that you've done with your co-driver and then if you have a, a stage that's really flowing and everything is perfect and you're on the limit but not over the limit and you you get to the end and you have good times, it's like the best feeling in the world you feel like you've completely achieved something and that's what I always then strive for it's like an addiction it's like the once you have it you want it again and you want it again and then that's what motivates you in the winter season when you have like nothing to do and you're trying to find the money for next year and it's a really slow process then you just remember that like it's only five percent of the sport the rest of it is literally five percent you have like the five percent of the bad races and then the rest of it is pretty much just trying to make it happen from outside the car What about the fear? Because rally is gnarly. Like I've seen a clip of a guy going off-road last week, I think. It was a crazy crash. Yeah, yeah. Have, have you had a... Uh, a is that Monte Carlo rally? Yeah, Monte Carlo. Yeah, that yeah. was crazy. Yeah. He did like, I don't know, like five, yeah. six tumbling or whatever. Yeah. Is it always in the back of your head or do you like... Yeah, I think it's... You have to have like a respect for the sport. And that's very humbling when you see things like that. Especially, you know, I've been in competitions before where it's been your teammates or like your friends or... It's difficult if you're driving like on a stage and you see another car that's crashed. Sometimes it does make you like double check yourself and think, okay, you know, this is a sport. I'm not saving lives here. I'm not a surgeon. I'm not, you know, this, you have to remember that actually it's the same for the spectator safety. If you see spectators standing in like dangerous places, then you think it does make you not drive to the limit because obviously it's like we do this predominantly for fun. Yeah. It's like some people's jobs and it's the, it's an industry, but at the same time, it's a sport. So it's not worth like a life at the end of the day or doing damage like that. Um, but I think you can never drive out of fear. So I always try to put that to the back of my head. The cars are so safe now, you know, prepared so well. But at the same time, when you do have a crash, it's like, oh, wow, that can happen. Like you, you forget sometimes that actually you're like, you're not stuck to the road. <laughs> and sometimes, but it's that shock of when you go off the road or you roll, I just sit there and I'm like, What happened there? Why? No, just like, it's like you're playing a video game and you want to be reloaded back onto the oh. road to carry on, but it doesn't happen. You just sit there. You've had a, a crash like that before, yeah, tumbling off the yeah. road? I had, I had quite a bad one in Poland a couple of years ago, actually, where it was a very fast road and um, some people pulled out of the rally. Like there was world championship drivers there and they pulled out because they said, whoa, this rally's too fast. It's like too dangerous. I, I don't want to drive it. It was a very narrow road, but it was like in a residential area. So there was lots of houses around. And we went over the top of this crest and one of our wheels still caught grip on the tarmac and the rest went light. And it literally just spun us around on the spot. And we were going fast at that time. It was like fourth gear. And it spun us around and we ended up like going towards this house and we hit this concrete swing, which flew us up into the air and we were flipping in the air. And we ended up hitting and smashing into the side of someone's house and sliding down the wall. And we actually broke through their wall into their living room. Like it was mad. And on the camera, you, you heard an onboard scream and it was from the woman inside the house. It wasn't from us on the outside. So after that crash, I was like, whoa, that was quite, a, you know, luckily everything was okay. And the rally has insurance, so it pays for, you know, the you house were, and there's no like damage. You were inside someone's... Yeah, uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went into the living room. She went, she went inside someone's living room without knocking. Just blam, <laughs> is dinner ready? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I felt so bad because the woman was making coffee in the house, but she ended no up way. just giving up to me and my co-driver and we just sat outside having coffee it was the weirdest day ever yeah oh my god you should make a movie about that crash just having coffee with the destroyed house no you know, i that. know oh my god i have a photo of like the paint of our car just spread down the side of her house it no was, way. yeah it was insane yeah. wow luckily but we but i mean me and my co-driver walked away from it and you know there was nobody hurt in it so it was completely apart from the house you know it was fixed within a few weeks but still it's amazing to think you can do something like that in a rally car because if that was a road car it would be like a complete disaster but We just walked away from it and it was fine. I feel like sometimes, even for me, it's good to have a gnarly crash and walk away from it because then you can know you can crash and still like walk yeah. away from it. And it kind of builds your confidence of knowing that, okay, some accidents can happen, but I can just move on with it and yeah. then just like go with the flow after that. Yeah, you have to accept it's part of sport. And, you know, if you're going to be trying to find the limits, then sometimes you go over the limit as well. Exactly. And it's, it's the same for everyone, I think. You know, even you see it, that, that crash in Monte Carlo last week, the boys, that was world champion. You know, the boys at the top, it still happens. It still happens. What's the goal for your first year in the junior WRC? It's crazy that it's your first year. And what's your dream for this year? 
My dream for this year, I think it's to get as much experience as I can in the championship. You know, this is completely new to me. I've never even like spectated on these rallies. So just seeing them, seeing the road, seeing the conditions, um, getting a feel for the regulations and the rules. There's so much, it sounds silly, but when you, when you think about it as a competitor, there's so much that's like a foreign object to me that I don't understand about the world championship at the minute. So I think it's going to be um, just it's like taking each day as it comes, trying not to get overwhelmed by it, trying not to put the pressure on myself. Because there's always, you know, when you start a new championship like that, the media are like, oh, yeah, you're going to the world. It's like, oh, no, stop it. <laughs> I think for me, it's just going to be literally seeing it as a rally, like a normal rally that I've done before, taking it step by step. Like Sweden, I've never even driven on snow before properly with like the rally in a rally car with rally studs on it. So that's just going to be a new learning experience in itself. Whereas there's like some of my competitors live in that town where the rally's based. So they know the roads, they know exactly what's happening. They know where it's flat out and they have that experience over me. So I think it's being realistic about it as well and just taking as much experience as I can so that in the next years I can hopefully be competitive with it. So this year is going to be more about the experience than like results pretty much. Yeah, for sure. How many uh, rounds do you have this year of the WRC, junior WRC? So it's only five actually this year, which is not a lot when you think of like a full year of competition. It's pretty spread out, but then it takes a lot of preparation for each of the events. Um, they're long events. You know, you need to turn up on like peak, know what you're doing, have done your work, research about the conditions and the surface and like discuss it with your engineers as well. But hopefully I will do some additional training rallies in the middle of it or at least some testing just so I can stay fresh and current in the car. Yeah, I feel like in rally, you yeah, the more it's so difficult to train. So every opportunity is a good opportunity to like progress pretty much. Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, I've had it before where you think, oh, it's perfect. Like I remember once last year we had a two day test, which was going to be awesome. And I'd never had that before. And I thought, okay, I turn up and we were testing in France. It was a gravel track. And then within the half an hour of the first morning, there was like loads of snow because it was near the mountains and the truck was getting stuck at the top. So we had to quickly pack the rally car in and leave. And so I literally half an hour was testing and then that was it. The test was cancelled. So things like that happen sometimes and it's not, you know, you just can't help it. But it's always nice to test when you haven't got a competition immediately following that because if you crash the car, yeah, it's not great, but you you can still prepare in it. It doesn't mean you have to miss a race. Whereas if you test, normally we test one day before the rally preparations start. Just so it's fresh, it's quite a nice way to do it because it means you can test in whichever location you're in. But at the same time, if you do damage the car, then that's what you have to you compete can. with. <laughs> you can race. Um, any other girl in the uh, junior WRC this, uh, no. this year? No, you no other you- girls. Actually, I don't think there's ever really been maybe like they've dropped in for one or two races in the in the jwrc but not like a consistent competitor in it so that would be new as well wow so this is pretty much like a, yeah. a legendary step for this yeah is sick. yeah it would be cool i mean no pressure no, no that's sick <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was gonna be like other girls but that no. that's sick you're gonna be the only girl i guess that attracts media yeah and for that reason i always try to have a female co-driver as well because to keep two girls in the car I think is really cool I think subconsciously as well if you see I think not me being sexist it's just the way that I think it looks from the outside if you see a guy co-driver with a girl driver automatically you think the guy coaches the girl just because of the way that your brain works I think it always works like that whereas if you see two different girls there's a very different dynamic in the car and it's like yeah no they're they're there they're doing it because they've got there and they've got you know it's a bit more, I don't know, a bit more like power. <laughs> Let's talk a, a little bit about that because a co-driver is mad important in the car, right? What's the kind of relation do you have with your co-driver outside the car, for example? You have to be friends. I think that's one thing that I learned because you just spend so much time together. You're traveling the world. Um, it's almost like having a sister that you're like living with on events and there's you have to work as a team in everything else you have to be considerate and understanding of people as well that people have bad days or you know days when they're not that happy and things like that um so outside of the car that's really important but also I think to know if you will get on with somebody is something that you never really experience until you're in a stressful situation in rally because then the niceties and things like that go away and it's like the raw stress and emotion and how do you handle a situation like that calmly and how do you work as a team in that situation so when you're looking for a new co-driver it's never really easy to say yeah okay we're friends so then we're going to work well together in a co-driver situation because that doesn't mean that they go together you have to make sure that in a competition environment you can still perform together you can't really come up being a co-driver like you have to learn no because maybe drive us a little bit on what kind of directions you get from your co-driver it just says 
Like what? Like right uh, in yeah. 100 meters or what yeah. kind of stuff does she tell you? So it's important when you get a new co-driver that you work a lot together on the pace notes before you do a competition because every driver's like description is very different. So for example, I use a pace note system of one to six and then the numbers. So one for me is like a hairpin, a really tight corner and six is pretty much flat out. But there'll be so much more information than just that. It will be how long the corner is, if the corner tightens a bit at the exit or if it opens, because that means you can accelerate earlier and carry more speed. But it will be the corner tightens after 50 meters and then opens for 100 meters. And then, you know, there's so much detail that you have with it. So it's not just one to six. I have one plus one minus for the very slight details and then you have the meters you have to put in things like if there's water or gravel on like a tarmac stage because that will be slippery things even like the altitude changes or if you're doing like rally mont blanc which side of the mountain is going to have sun on it in the morning because then that will be the dry tarmac whereas if it's on the side that's not got the sun on it it might be more slippery and icy or damp there's so many things you have to think about when you write your pace notes so for me in some ways that's the hardest part of the rally because you have to stay so concentrated and so focused because if you make a small mistake in that when you're driving in the rally car flat out of course it will be a mistake in the rally car and you are responsible for your co-driver's life exactly yeah it's not just you in the car that's the other thing to think I mean personally I would never be a co-driver because I think they are completely crazy They have no control. Are they mad? <laughs> Just reading a I thing. Know. So like, they have an iPad with some notes or like even a paper or yeah, whatever? Yeah, so it's paper. It's like old school. And so when we make the recce, the way that it works is the co-driver will sit next to me with like a blank sheet and she'll have just have a map to tell her where to go in the road. And I will be just driving down the road and shouting the instructions. So I will be saying the pace notes that I want. So she'll write it. And then we go back to the start of the same stage and she reads it back to me. And then I have to check it and make sure it's everything I see. And then literally the next time that we go, we'll be flat out in the rally car so that you can't learn the track like that. It's like raw. Yeah. So that's only pretty much two goes before you... Two goes, yeah. And then it's flat out. So we also record on GoPro the video. And so it's very common for us to be up to like 2 a.m. in the morning watching the video back and changing the slightest little things on pace notes that maybe you miss just in the real life version of the recce. You could do it with, we call it a video recce as well. So you can check it with the GoPro footage. We actually had this situation in Rome like two years ago where our car was broken into and all the pace notes were stolen. And this was like two hours before the rally started. And so we had to remake all of the pace notes for the whole event just from listening to the GoPro video that we had in the car. Because obviously the co-driver was reading the pace notes. So she was just listening to her voice and then writing down the pace notes. That that worked out? Yeah, it was okay for us. (laughs) Wow, that's crazy. You know in Formula One how they have like the simulators for uh, racetrack? Do you have any of that or do you work on the simulator? No, I don't actually. It's it's not so popular in rally as it is in racing. I think now with like the dirt rally and the WRC 8 championships, it's becoming much more popular because it's getting more realistic to driving an actual rally car. But in terms of preparing for track and learning a surface, we don't do it like that because you can never simulate the same conditions that you'll have on a competition because you might have like snow or gravel or there's so many conditions that change and it's quite dangerous to try and practice and get used to a certain condition because then in your head if you're playing that kind of simulator game and then in real life if it's not like that and you might see a corner and think oh that's a fourth gear corner on the simulator but actually in real life it might be very different and you can get confused in the moment sometimes between what's real life and what's been your kind of what you've got used to from the simulator so it's very different in terms of I think they're probably not developed enough for rally in terms of the different surfaces and how it feels in the car. Let's go back to the media side of things because we are in 2020 and we live in an era where when you are sportsman or athletes, women or men, you need to play the game of media, could be social media, mainstream media, and uh, you are well uh, placed because you are you had your own uh, TV show in 2018, <laughs> yeah. KT's Amazing Ma- Machines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What was that all about? It was like Top Gear, but for children. Um, So it was a really young kids show, but we did everything. Like I flew, because I had to test the machine in each episode. I did three machines in every episode. One of them was like archive footage, but two of them I actually had to try. So for example, in the flying machine episode, I did like a fighter plane, so a jet plane, and then I did like a helicopter. So I'd have half a day of learning how to drive or fly these different machines. And then I had to go up and show that I was controlling it and steering like I was, it was crazy. It's like, I don't think you could ever buy an experience like that to try and get your license so quickly. I'm not, I'm no way have my license or anything. I had an instructor with me all the time. But yeah, just going to work was an absolutely incredible experience because it would be like 
like driving a submarine underwater or sailing or it was all over the world we filmed like a, uh, you know the snow um, the peace bashers the snow plows we filmed them in the alps as well in france so just so many machines that you'd Whoa. never have access to but it was it was funny because it was a bbc production and i had the call i'd never presented anything and i didn't really like it wasn't something i was looking to do i didn't have an agent or anything and then i had the opportunity and it literally just did it because the the money from that was then able to pay for me to go racing for some events so that was kind of my motivation behind it but then at the end of the series it was really popular and so they commissioned another two more years of the series but for me trying to split my time like that across doing a competitive championship and presenting this show it was like a full-time job every single day when I wasn't racing I'd be working on that so it was very draining and very tiring over time and I'd turn up to competitions not prepared and quite tired and so I thought if it's going to be like they wanted a bigger series they want it to be better there was more budget going into it and for me I just wasn't able to compete as a competitive athlete at that time in my career if I was also doing it was like two full-time jobs it just I just couldn't do it so you have to make the call at some point yeah. you just can't do both and yeah. same situation happened where this year you were maybe supposed to do the announcing for WRC yeah. Uh, yeah. TV thing for Red Bull I don't know yes yeah and you turn it down because you wanted to focus on the on the championship yeah it's, it's I mean it's difficult because it's like you know even though it's still in the sport it's for me as an athlete I think your credibility is on the line, your reputation from other brands, other sponsors. I think it's cool to do stuff. As you say, we're living in 2020. Media is important. Speaking on camera is important as an athlete. You need to be all rounded now. You need to be able to do everything. But as soon as I go the other way with that and do too much presenting, then I think you lose your driver side. And for me, that's what makes my like fire burn. That's what I could never, you know, I need that adrenaline at this point in my life. And so that's why I had to put my competition first because I didn't think I would get the opportunities again. If I said yes to doing loads of TV, I would slowly lose the driving opportunities. And it would be, maybe one day I'll be able to go back to presenting when I'm finished driving, but I don't think you'll ever have the opportunity to go back to driving and to do it properly. That's really smart. And I think that's what it takes to be a professional athlete at yeah. the highest level is just to make the right decision at the right time. And I think you made the, yeah. the perfect decision. Yeah. And this year is going to go incredible for you. Oh, I hope and, so. And, yeah. I, and I really hope for you that oh, it's going to go. Thank you. That it's really going to go incredible. What uh, would you say to young Katie at 13 years old uh, pulling that handbrake what would you tell her right now what are you doing <laughs> no I mean I wouldn't change anything I think it's been a hard journey like you know there's a lot of sacrifices you make and that people really don't see normally um, a lot of stress that people don't see everybody just sees the events and the like the fun side of it the glamorous side of sport but actually there's so much work that you put in to make it happen I'd say, and I probably said this to myself now, it's not something that I've changed with, but I'd probably, and my sister said it to me a lot, just relax, smell the flowers, enjoy the ride. I think I've always been stressed on how I'm going to get to the next event or how I'm going to make something happen. But we always say like the universe finds a way, the universe makes it happen for you. Um, so it's just about relaxing into it and going with the flow and like great opportunities will come and they'll be like, you know, when something goes wrong, if you have a crash, it's meant to be something will happen, something better will come along. And, you know, that's the way that I'm starting to try to live my life more now. But yeah, I think that's probably my family's influence on that as well. Yeah, it seems like you are super close to, to your family. They are, they are here today, your mom and your <laughs> sister. Hi, guys. And, uh, and your dad being a professional radio driver yeah. uh, back in his time too. How important is your family in competitions? Yeah, so much. The last year, my family were quite busy. So normally only my dad would come to the races. But before that, my whole family has kind of come to every race. And you really feel that gap when they're not there. So this year, we've kind of said, whatever happens, it's a new championship. It's everything's new. We just have to be there together. Because what a once in a lifetime opportunity to go to these like amazing places and to just experience it. And really, everybody plays a part in the team. My mum is always standing there filming everything. So she gets everything for my Instagram, all of the shots. And then even like we've had it before where the brands I've been sponsored by have been asking for these videos that my mum makes because they're so good. Like she's, her footage has been on Eurosport. Like it's <laughs> insane. These are her iPhone clips that she's making on iMovie. And my sister always comes, she's a nutritionalist, so she'll be doing healthy cooking to make sure they have right energy. My dad supports from like a manager's kind of side in driving, but also with like the business deals and teams. So everybody has their individual part in the team. And if one person's not there, then you really feel it. But I remember my sister, she had a ski accident and she did her ACL and she was going in for surgery. And that was the same time as I was competing in a, a rally in Cyprus. And my mum was sitting in her hospital room 
on her WhatsApp, my dad was sending her videos from Cyprus and she would be making the iMovie from England to present to my sponsors. And it was like working like this while I was driving just to keep the whole, the whole like, team working together. And um, yeah, it's a good unit, I think. Wow, this is amazing. Congrats, guys. This is awesome. And I think this is a big part of uh, your, your success. Yeah. They're is cheap it? staff, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> but you do your own Instagram or you have someone yeah, doing your, your yeah, Instagram yeah. for you? You've yeah. got quite a big uh, following already and it's going to yeah. go keep on... I, lo I love it. I love doing like... I know some athletes get really bored with it, but for me, it's like... You can tell if somebody does it for you all the time. I think you can, I can understand on racism when you're doing stuff, but I'd like to keep it like personal and raw because if, when I see an athlete and I see like the way that they speak, if I know an athlete and the way that they speak is not how they come across on social media, you know, it's not them and you don't really connect with what they're posting. So that's why with Instagram, I mean, I've had managers and agents in the past that say, oh, we'll take over over. And I'm like, no, this is like my baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like my photo album, you know, all my memories. So, um, yeah. It could take a lot of time though, like, because now there is Facebook. It's not that popular yeah. anymore. <laughs> Sorry, Facebook. <laughs> there is Twitter. There is uh, Instagram. Now there is TikTok. Yeah. Don't you think it's like too yeah. chrono chronophage, like too so time much. consuming? I try to do it. So I have them all linked together. So when I post on one, it posts on all of them and then oh, I can yeah. cover everything. But you're right. Even, you know, replying to messages from people you get such nice messages but sometimes when you're racing you miss messages and then you feel bad that you can't reply so sorry if i've done that and thank you for your <laughs> messages but um, sorry guys yeah. <laughs> you said that you wanted to get more girls or women into the the sport what advice would you give to a, a 10 years old girl that want to start rally driving I would say try to build some contacts in the sport already because that will help you massively. Even if it's just in your local motor club, like everywhere has a, a local motor club within half an hour of each kind of big town or city. I'd say that there's always small clubs that will do small events like how I started in grass auto testing. It was exactly the same. And then when you go there, you'll meet somebody that knows a team or that maybe can invite you to a test or even start with co-driving um, just to get a bit of experience in the sport and to see if it's something that you really want to do. Because, you know, you want to know if there's something you want to do. It requires so much dedication and commitment that you should really try it and see first but I'd say yeah there's lots of organizations now like Dare to be Different um, and Women on Track you know the FIA which is like the Federation of Motorsport is creating opportunities for girls to try out motorsport and build those contacts I'd say reach out as well I mean social media is so cool for that nowadays to speak to kind of your heroes and see what their advice would be but it's tough you know motorsport is tough even for me now it's like every season is difficult and it's not something that's ever like locked in I don't think it's something that will change I know some of my friends are like WRC drivers that had a drive last year and now don't have a drive so they've gone from being like top level in the world and just the way that the teams work now they're like it's like being unemployed for a year you know and they don't know what's going to happen what's around the corner when the next opportunity will come so I think if you realize it's that kind of industry you have to realize it's that kind yeah. of industry so reach out if you want to be uh, Katie's next uh, co-driver reach out on Instagram <laughs> <Just like. laughs> yeah I'm taking my CVs on Instagram now that's how it's working how does it work to go from a uh, gwrc to like wrc i think it, it's a big jump in budget as well so it's normally a manufacturer backing that will get you there so being consistent in the junior series and then being spotted hopefully by a manufacturer or a team that will then give you the support that you need to progress up to the next level that's normally the way that it happens just to kind of being involved in the championship at a lower level and hoping that you will get recognized. It was obviously down to results. But as we said earlier, the whole all-rounded athlete is so important now. And I think that that really does come into consideration of teams, especially nowadays um, with social media and the, like marketing and all of these plans. You have to find something that makes you stand out from the other drivers. So something that I try to focus on as well is to think outside the box a bit yeah. with it. And I think you do tick all the boxes. So, no. <laughs> That's very kind. No, it's true. And I really hope that you're going to make it happen. They have a, a limited amount of uh, seats in yeah. WRC. It's like Formula One. They have yeah. How many teams do they have? I mean, the it depends on how many manufacturers enter. So this year, there's only three manufacturers at the top level. Um, Toyota, Hyundai and Ford. So it's not much when you think that they only run maybe two or three cars at that level. But then there's development series. So I'm in the R2 category. And then from the step up from that will be the R5. And that's the first kind of four-wheel drive level of the World Championship. And then the one above that is the WRC cars. And they're the ones that are very exclusive. You know, they're like, there's only probably maximum 10 per round, if that. You oh, know, wow. there's like, you know, probably seven, realistically. Some cars, some manufacturers only run two cars, some run three. So it is very exclusive. And normally it's the guys that have been there for a long time. They don't really take chances on people for those seats. 
But you're gonna be the first woman to ever yes. be in the in the WRC and oh, win yeah. a race, and then oh, yeah. and tell all these guys that women shreds. Yeah, That's yeah, all the, women all shreds. The, I like that. <laughs> all the best we can we can wish you for sure. You said that the limit for G the uh, WRC is uh, 30 years old, and you are 22 now, so yeah. that's plenty of time to to make yeah. it happen. Yeah, I'm lucky that I'm still quite young, and I've been able to have opportunities to get me here at this stage in my life. But then I speak to some drivers sometimes, and they're like, "Oh, I'm 24. I'm too old now." And I'm thinking, "Bloody hell! Like, no. <laughs> it's not no, too old. You've still got." When you think that there's like the, some of the WRC drivers at the top are like in their 40s, and you know, it's it's not an, it's nice because it's not an ex a sport that has an expiry date because your body gets tired, or you know, like maybe downhill skiing is very different for that because you know, as you get older, you lose the speed and maybe have more fear. I don't know. That's a, like another topic as well. But um, yeah, it's a nice sport like that. As long as you can stay at the top of your game and stay consistent i think that you could make it quite a long career definitely let's make a bet next podcast we do in a few years yep. you're gonna be uh, winning wrc races okay i'm up for it <laughs> all right katie that was a, a lot of topics we talked about uh, anything you want to add maybe some thanks to your sponsors or yeah. family or yeah thank you for having me this yeah, has been so much fun what yeah. an honor I, I love what you're doing with so many athletes here and i love hearing from other athletes their stories i like hearing like the little things that you don't normally read about or that you don't see like their routines and how they train and how difficult it is i think as an athlete it really inspires you to like push on and you think okay it's the same for everybody you need to work hard for it like so hearing that serious story about like Cyril sell it, selling <laughs> wine bottles yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking okay it makes more sense that I sold my car to be able to race um, so hopefully one day I'll be like him winning Dakar <laughs> for sure you will that's something we didn't really talk about that's something I missed is that your your training routine because mm. there is definitely a training routine for you getting better at driving so you told me that obviously there is the driving part but are you like going to the gym or like doing some stuff to get better yeah I mean I actually had a really interesting conversation with one of the that does like in England we have like a athlete center where we go for like physio or things like that but one of the coaches there he was saying when you're not racing you miss that like burnout adrenaline that's what your body gets used to and so in the winter it's difficult because you don't have the same routine which means you'll get you know your first couple of races are quite difficult to get back into the flow and so he tries to create like a training program where you go to the gym and you do such a heavy session that you're completely like wiped out and then that's meant to replicate the complete it's not so much physical it's more emotional how like drained you are at the end of a race you know when you've done like a really heavy gym session you're like like almost melting onto the floor that's what he's trying to like replicate so that then when you go back into your first event in the season it's not such a shock to your body wow but there's also like an amazing training center called 321 perform and it's it's in the pyrenees and like quite near to andorra and sebastian Ogier basically developed this school and it's got a personal trainer there but it's a driving performance center and it's very focused on rally specifically so they do like the levels in altitude they do altitude training they do like the oxygen tests under performance um reaction tests they they see if you feel they've they've developed such cool machines they see if you develop feel the car through your legs into the seat or your bum or your hands or like your feet through the pedals and they can do these tests to see where you have the best feeling and then they say okay you need to work on your balance on your feet and then you have a better feeling of the throttle or you know it's very very fine details like that but it's cool to have trained there a few times but yeah it's like it's yeah it's That's one of those so things sick. you can't go every day it's not your local gym but to experience places like that is cool but yeah i think because it's not in the car the majority of your training is normally like playing reaction games on your phone like the yeah. light games that you can play on the apps or just yeah in the gym That's sick i mean at this level the small details makes a big Yeah. difference and it's finding the time for that as well and make sure that you put that into your diary because sometimes it's so easy to think oh no okay I've got all of because I manage everything for myself so it's like so many I can sit in front of my laptop all day on the emails to different people and you know when you're working with lots of different organizations it's like a full-time job it's difficult to say okay actually now I need to go be the athlete for two hours and yeah focus on that definitely what of wisdom well I'm gonna let you go and celebrate uh, your successful weekend with your family mom and sister come come inside uh, come, come come there come and have a come, cuddle come, come, have come a and cuddle. get on the come table on. yeah take, take a photo of us thank you guys and uh, see you next time bye, bye. thanks Katie it's been amazing <laughs> thanks for having me wow that was such a cool interview I really enjoyed that thank you guys for listening I hope you liked it as much as I did my personal takes away from Katie are that in this sport, money can pretty much buy talent. I mean, the more you train, the more talented you get, but training is so expensive. I also really enjoy the fact that she's still pretty scared to drive, but 
she goes for it. You know, the motivation is, is bigger than the fear, and that's super important. And I mean, the fact that she had her own TV show and she decided to drop everything to focus on her career. And that's what professional athlete needs to do, just focus on one thing and drop in. I would really like to know what's your personal takeaway from the interview. You can share it with the hashtag DecodingAthletes on Instagram. And don't forget to tag me. There is a vlog that we filmed in Zelamze during the GPS race that's now online on my YouTube channel. That was so much fun. I did some donuts in the car with Katie. We uh, link it in the show notes so you can easily find it. You can tune in next Wednesday when I meet with French freestyle motocross rider Tom Pages. We met him in his crazy compound in Spain during his injury break. Tom is definitely the most creative human being on a motorbike right now. He has multiple X Games gold medal and he's created the craziest trick ever on FMX. He's also a mental beast and he'll give you all of his secrets during the podcast. I promise you it's going to be legendary. Here is a little sneak peek. You have to accept the fact that you can crash. And then when I decided to take the more risk, that's when I grew up. He's, he's my brother. He was not my friend, you know. You think he would have died? Yeah. And if it's my last one, he will have to be insane. They were not going to forget my name anymore. The next episode with Tom will drop next Wednesday at 6 p.m. You don't want to miss that one out. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. It was great to share this moment with you guys. I see you back here soon. Bye. Decoding Athletes with Matthias Dondois is a production of Maniac Studios for Red Bull Media House.